Hi there, I'm Noel Abbott, Chief Operating Officer of Gondrepreneur.com, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly with cannabis business owners, activists, and industry stakeholders to bring you actionable information to improve your business strategy and to help normalize cannabis. Today, I am hosting a special edition of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast recorded on-site in Seattle, Washington at Headset, a market data and business intelligence platform for the cannabis industry. I'm joined by Headset's co-founders, Cy Scott, Brian Wanselich, and Scott Vickers, who were also the original co-founders of the massively popular website, Leafly. Thanks for hosting me, guys. How are you doing today? Great. Fantastic. So I understand that between Leafly and Headsets, you guys have been working together for about seven years now, if not longer. Um, Can you each give me a brief introduction of yourself and tell us a little bit about your individual role on the team? Sure. Uh, I'll start. This is Sai. Um, So yeah, we have been working together uh, in the cannabis industry for at least seven years, but even before kind of getting into this space, we were working together uh, at Kelly Blue Book. KBB.com. So we have, uh, I think, about 10 years of work experience together. Haven't killed each other yet. Um, but yeah, uh, so kind of my role here uh, is CEO. So kind of helping kind of guide the direction of the organization. Um, I'll let you guys dive in. Uh, Brian Wanselich here, and um, I am a CDO of Headset, and that's uh, basically everything in charge of design and uh, some of the marketing aspects of the company. Yeah, uh, Scott, CTO of Headset, so everything technical related, data flow, point of sale integrations, visualizations, all that fun stuff. Awesome. So uh, we have a lot to cover today, and I ultimately want to dig into the market data that you've been collecting with Headset. But before we get into that, I want to talk about your experience with Leafly. Uh, how you founded the business, how it evolved, and what it was like to eventually sell the business to Privateer Holdings. So to start off, let's go back to the early days. Uh, What were you all doing when you first decided? I guess you just said you were working at uh, Kelly Blue Book, but when did you first have the the idea for Leafly to create um, a a cannabis website? Okay, I'll take that. You take it. All right, this is Sai. Yeah, it really was uh, kind of motivated by Scott's experience going to a dispensary for the first time. And I think Scott went to a dispensary based on a recommendation from Brian. Um, So this is California in 2010. Um, So, you know, strictly medical. Uh, So you had to have your doctor's recommendation, go to a dispensary. uh, And then, you know, Scott went in, was exposed to a large number of strains thought, you know, there needs to be a way to track this, kind of brought the idea uh, to me. Uh, I thought, you know, he was a little crazy, uh, but also I really kind of recognized the opportunity and kind of the trajectory that the cannabis industry was on at the time. So we thought, you know, if we're going to dive into something of this nature, let's kind of treat it in a more mainstream approach, kind of work to demystify these cannabis strains and and what it's all about. Um, And so that was kind of the the beginnings of, of the whole thing. Yeah, kind of a funny detail there uh, was Scott actually kept a spreadsheet of, of strains that he was trying, you know, of course, the type of strain that it was, how it made him feel, duration, the blueprint of, of Leafly, essentially, it was pretty pretty geeky thing to do, but but it definitely helped kick uh, that whole effort into, dri- you know, into overdrive for us. Awesome, so that was the first data set that you started with. 
Yeah, that was it. I think we launched, um, built the site over a few months, I think, and nights and weekends, Brian's the design um, brains behind it and the size vision of kind of the mainstream. Uh, I was just thinking on the techie side, not really how it would look at all. So that really, I think, is a huge piece that the people think about making a website now don't think about it. It was different back then. Um, so we started with 50 strains that we all wrote reviews for and then kind of just pushed the site out there and took off relative short order of a lot of people adding adding reviews and adding new strains. So was there, um, was there a very long period of time where it was kind of a side project where you were still working a day job and focusing on Leafly on the side? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it was all bootstrapped, so yeah, mostly nights and weekends for us, uh, which was, was difficult. Uh, that's a tough way to build anything, um, but we had to do that for, for a long time. I think it was a real byproduct of the industry at the time. In, in 2010, there really wasn't a lot of venture capital uh, that you could tap into that would you know, help uh, kind of accelerate that type of development. So it was really kind of on us to just kind of get it going. Now, it's very different today. You know, it's not... It's not uh, all the way there uh, with other kind of more traditional tech verticals, but uh, there definitely is a lot more access to, to capital than there was back in 2010. Even though that was only seven years ago, it, uh, it has changed quite a bit. And kind of to Scott's point with Leafly, I think um, one of the things that really got us a lot of traction was our kind of nuanced approach to cannabis and treating it more in, in a mainstream manner. But you know, today it, it's pretty normalized. It's pretty pretty standard uh, way of doing things you know it's it's getting so normalized that Netflix now has a show you know dedicated to a dispensary um, so it, it's it's really come a long way yeah it's kind of funny that we were really careful about how we wanted to present Leafly and how it looked uh, you know because being that we worked in a corporate setting uh, you know concerned about people walking by managers seeing screens so you know we made the strain tile layout because it was pretty innocuous. You wouldn't notice like pictures of ganja everywhere. Uh, so we were very sensitive to that. We even, when we started putting pictures on Leafly, which we were kind of against in the beginning, uh, we even had a, uh, a safe for work mode. So you could switch that on and off. So it would be tiles or pictures, or you know, you turn the pictures off essentially. Yeah, totally. That, that leads well into another question that I have, um, which specifically relates uh, to the design. Um, when I was first starting out in the cannabis industry, I was doing small business web development and um, doing dispensary websites, essentially. And most everybody wanted to emulate Leafly, and they would say that specifically. We really like the style of Leafly. Um, that's interesting to hear that it was you know, originally partially um, a result of not wanting to have your boss look over your shoulder and see what you're doing, because I, I've definitely, you know, when I had previous jobs, I was looking at Leafly and I felt comfortable in that safe for work mode. Um, how do you feel that the, uh, the design and the aesthetic uh, contributed to your growth overall and then also to the normalization of cannabis as Leafly took off and kind of became that example of a normalized uh, mainstream cannabis identity? Uh, I think it was like demystification. I think people can get their heads around that um, periodic table of ele elements metaphor um, that, that, was, that I made out there. It wasn't, I mean, it was, seemed kind of easy to do, logical to do, but uh, I think that's what needed to happen just so people could kind of understand it really easily and quickly. Um, that was the drive. Plus, uh, 
you know, just, just making sure that we presented it in a way that was clean and web 2.0 was still kind of new then. So just seemed to make sense, flat design, um, just to get geeky about that. Um, you know, it just, it just made sense to make that approach for us. It was a diversion from what you were seeing out there primarily. Yeah, I think it was a huge advantage on the growth and kind of, yeah, like Brian said, demystified it, kind of normalized. Um, as we were starting it and building it, we were kind of hush-hush about our cannabis use around the office just because, I don't know, you would be. Um, but more and more, we'd you know, be smoking weed with other people and kind of everybody, 20 to 30-year-old tech workers in Irvine um, were pretty big cannabis fans and just kind of realized that it was a bit of an untapped market with sites and apps that, that uh, kind of appealed to that demographic. And now, of course, the tiles and the colors, it's amazing. You see every random product. They're Kale ubiquitous. Has. Yeah, I'll, I'll see them crazy. in almost every dispensary right. that I walk into. They use that icon to represent the strains that yeah. they're selling. It's all on product packaging, even, even just the colors, every website does it now. A lot of clone websites out there, which mm -hmm. is great flattery, you know, but uh, sometimes annoying. <laughs> totally. Um, okay, so um, as, you're, as you're working on Leafly and you still have a day job, at what point did you make the leap? Did you all quit at the same time? Was it kind of one at a time? Were you, uh, you know, fully profitable at that point? Or was it um, something where you saw the potential and just decided to quit what you were doing and focus entirely on that? Yeah, I think we did it all at the same time. Uh, and it was only after uh, we got acquired by Privateer. Oh, okay. um, so we never really truly made a big leap um, as far as going out on our own. Uh, the company was profitable at the time, of course, because we had very low expenses of not paying anybody. Um, but yeah, so after, after that happened, which was late 2011, so about a year and a half after, after the launch of Leafly. A little apprehensive, you know, uh, that, that term you might have heard, golden handcuffs. You know, we had that scenario, pretty good paying like tech jobs, you know, and being that the industry was what it was back in 2010, people were pretty scared to jump ship around anything right. like that. So we were a little apprehensive just to like jump ship first and then look for, um, you know, investment money at that time. So one of the inevitable experiences that uh, people who transition into the cannabis industry go through if they're going to pursue it full time is that coming out moment to friends and family. Uh, did you wait to do that until you had been acquired or were you telling people about it um, the whole way through? Uh, what was that experience like for each of you? Sure, I'll start. Um, yeah, I was definitely a little hesitant uh, initially to kind of say what we were working on. Uh, it really, when I would talk to people about it, like, hey, we're doing something in the cannabis industry, I would always qualify it, you know, but we're taking this different approach and treating it like more like a mainstream subject. Um, <clears throat> and then once I did that, people would understand, um, particularly with, you know, when, I, when I'd meet new people and just kind of have that conversation, you didn't really know where, where people stood with it at the time. Uh, friends, family, particularly family, uh, you know, conservative family members, um, they also saw, you know, the value of it. Um, I think that's one thing that's interesting about cannabis is it kind of unites multiple sides of, uh, you know, political beliefs in a lot of ways uh, from the more liberal minded who kind of are 
into decriminalization or um, legalization for social justice purposes to the more conservative side that sees the benefits in you know, tax revenue, taxing something that's already being consumed or kind of more libertarian values, like government shouldn't say, you know, what I should be able to consume. Uh, so, you know, kind of addressing the topic, uh, a little nuanced, was important. Uh, you know, but these days, you know, it's just, oh, the cannabis industry. And now when we say, yeah, we're in the cannabis industry, everyone's really eager to talk to us about it. Everyone wants to learn more about it. Uh, a lot of people want to know how they can get involved in it because they see the opportunity. So just in seven years, I'd say the way I talk about it is very different. I think the way um, the world perceives it is very different um, in, a, in a good way, you know, in a much more positive way. Yeah, <clears throat> I think probably waited three to six months after Leafly launched before I mentioned it to family. Um, and it was, yeah, generally a positive response. I don't think there was any negative. Surprisingly, probably the most positive from my older grandparents, hmm. 80 and 90 years old, but excited. Saw the kind of the benefits of it, and uh, yeah, just thought it was a smart idea to get to get in on that. So, and then yeah, friends, I think most most knew about it. Um, and of course now, like I mentioned, especially living in Seattle, meet a neighbor, mention what you do. It's just like you work anywhere else, and generally they, oh, do you know so and so from this company? Because there's yeah, it's just kind of it's grown into such an industry is pretty exciting yeah um, kind of the same for me too I mean friends uh, I think they were always supportive and let them know about it family I waited just for a little bit I mean they'd known that you know I partake you know in cannabis anyway but in terms of like working on a project and in, in a company uh, I held off just for a little bit just because sometimes I don't want to say what I'm doing until it gets to a certain point just for fear of jinx you know and all that stuff but um, it was all well received and uh, to Sai and Scott's points earlier uh, about, you know, just when people ask what do you do or what industry are you in and you let them know. It's funny because I think with, uh, with Leafly, some people think that we know all the strains that are on there. Like we're so knowledgeable about every one of those uh, strains and it's pretty funny. It's like, well, you know, we, we can reference those, um, but, you know, we don't know everything about it. It's kind of, it kind of feels good to be thought of as sort of an expert even though I won't totally claim that mantle. Uh, it's like probably the founders of Wikipedia trying to be like, you know, experts in every topic. So when you first started monetizing Leafly um, and you were pitching uh, advertising to dispensary owners who were in this largely unregulated gray market and advertising was probably a very new concept for them or even just like putting their name out there um, in a place where it could be seen by anyone. Um, what was their reaction like? Was that, was that a new concept that they were eager to try or was it something that you really had to push for to convince them that it was worth it? Yeah, I think they were pretty eager. I think um, you know at the time uh, they were excited about getting exposure. Uh, it's pretty hard to find dispensaries. Um, you know, a little less so today, but back in 2010, you know, you really had to know or get a referral recommendation from somebody to, to point you to the right spot. So, uh, you know, they were eager to, to get some exposure and kind of our approach with it with Leafly was to connect um, their patients via the strain. So as people were researching, uh, you know, maybe find a strain for anxiety or 
something to help with insomnia, then um, you know, they would connect to that strain, and then from there they would uh, connect to a dispensary that carries that strain. So a uh, little more than just a, a map with, with um, icons on it, although you know, Leafly has that as well. Uh, it was a way to kind of connect the dots uh, for someone that was doing some research to a location that might be able to carry that product. And I think the dispensaries you know, found value in that, and I think uh, the dispensaries and retailers still find a lot of value in that. Cool. Were, did you take on most of the sales in the beginning? I guess it was kind of a little of all of us. Um, and you know, that's, that's always the toughest part, right, with a new company is kind of showing value. Um, while they wanted to get exposure, you know, it's like how much is that worth to them and finding out, you know, the pricing that, that fits and then, you know, measuring uh, the return for them, you know, making sure that we are driving new customers, new patients uh, to those locations was important. Um, but it was, you know, kind of, uh, I think a little bit of all three of us uh, visiting shops, calling shops, um, you know, handling inbound uh, inquiries. Um, While at our day jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was that overlap for sure. Um, you know, not being able to take calls till we were, you know, off the clock uh, was, you know, kind of difficult. It's hard to do sales when you have a finite window of time. Um, Lunch hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot exactly. of quick trips to dispensaries. Right. Was it something where the dispensaries were already using it or was Leafly new to a lot of the companies that you were talking to? I think it kind of varied. Um, a lot, we were in Orange County, a lot of dispensaries uh, were down there, but yeah, we'd walk in and they wouldn't have necessarily heard of us. But then I think our first trip to Denver, we were just, we were there for some Kushcon or something like that. And then spent days canvassing the area, just walking into dispensaries and um, I think one we walked into and she said, oh, I was just on your website because I Googled strawberry cough or something and she was looking up strain information. So it was a pleasant surprise to then have us walk in the door. So that was, that was cool as you start seeing it out there. And I think a dispensary in Costa Mesa, um, when Brian went in, she pulled out a folder and just had all of our strain pages printed out and she would just leaf through that to uh, kind of that's guide right. people in their decisions. So. Yeah, that's right. And she was a former RN like nurse. So, um, oh, cool. you know, to her, that was valuable for her um, seriously medical patients at that time. That's, that's a good memory right there. Cool. So um, the next thing I want to talk about is you know, de developing the company culture um, when you're transitioning from a small team. Obviously, the three of you knew each other very well. And you're working together um, without even paying yourself for a long time. Um, how do you transition from that really tight-knit um, team to building out a larger organization and keeping the personality the same um, as you go? Sure, yeah, I think um, like any company, I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do as you scale up uh, a team to make sure that you kind of keep that, that company culture. Um, and it really comes down to, I think, identifying what it is. And, and with Leafly and with Headset, you know, I think um, for us it was really about kind of having a common belief in the direction of cannabis and the, the benefits that it could provide um, by decriminalizing or legalizing. Um, and so I think that's, that's one thing that kind of binds everybody uh, in the organization is that kind of shared belief and uh, that goes a long way you know it's it's more than just you know our company culture is a ping pong table in a break room and 
you know, whatever. It's it's more kind of ingrained in, in kind of what you're doing, you know, means something uh, and can have an impact. Um, and so we, we try and do that, and we're trying to do that here at Headset, you know. It's the way the way we look at what we're doing here with data and analytics is, is really helping a lot of these operators be more successful uh, by giving them the data they need to, to drive those uh, critical decisions that they're making every day. And uh, if they're more successful, then this industry is more successful. So that's kind of, you know, our, our outlook and kind of the outlook that uh, is shared with all of the team members here, you know, that we're, we're providing a service that can provide a benefit. And uh, if it helps these operators, then it helps the industry. And we all believe in this industry. Was, um, you know, the point at which you built out your team, did that kind of happen all at once with the acquisition? Or was it gradual bringing people in um, one by one over time, or were you largely working with, you know, people who were remote who you may not actually see face to face very often? Yeah, it was uh, a little bit over time. I mean, we we ramped pretty quickly. So once uh, Privateer came into the picture, uh, it was a it was a pretty good relationship uh, for us because they they were um, they kind of had a similar outlook on the industry, right? Something that the industry is going to be more mainstream. Um, and they wanted to tackle it in that direction, and uh, you know we had a similar vision. Uh, they were, you know, motivated to you know raise capital, um, which I think uh, once we started seeing some adult use laws go into effect, became a little easier. But the benefit for us was it really allowed us to focus on on building out Leafly and not have to worry about that side of the business. And it's definitely a piece of the business now that we deal with directly with headset, and it can be time consuming and take mind share away from operations. So uh, having Privateer there um, was really helpful, it allowed us to focus on on scaling up the team. Um, so yeah, it, it did happen pretty quickly, but I think you know kind of we'd hire as needed, you know, if we're growing the sales staff or if we're growing the marketing staff or engineering staff, you know, we'd, we'd find the right people um, and try and, and manage growth uh, at some, you know, sort of level that, that was manageable. Because uh, companies do change. They change from when it's three of you to when it's five of you to when it's, you know, 20, 30. You see big inflection points happen. Uh, and the company changes as well. You're going from this kind of figuring it out to, okay, I kind of have a sense of what's happening to, okay, now we have this very reproducible business model and let's just scale it up. Um, so yeah, we're kind of going through that now, uh, growing the team at Headset. I think there's 15 of us at the moment. So we're just about to hit that you know 20 person kind of inflection moment. So it can be tough to, to stay on top of it and make sure that uh, you know, you're growing the way you need to be growing at the same time as building the business. But uh, the experience we had with Leafly, I think, taught us a lot and we're able to apply a lot of those lessons here. Awesome. That leads really well uh, into my next question, um, which is how, how did your experience uh, with Leafly shape your decision to launch Headset? Uh, having worked with dispensary owners and um, you know, seeing the interactions between consumers and dispensary owners, um, for so long, what was the need that you identified that uh, led you to decide to put together a business uh, intelligence and market data platform? Sure, I think it was um, you know a byproduct of a lot of conversations with um, operators in the industry that would uh, illustrate their need for this type of data uh, to drive decisions. Uh, it can be very costly to if you're if you're processor and you want to start 
creating a, maybe a, some sort of extract, like a vapor pen, you know, to create an, buy an extraction machine and dive into the packaging, the branding, and all that entails without really understanding the, the market size or the competitive landscape. So it really was a, a byproduct of, of recognizing a real gap in the industry, talking to operators in the industry, and kind of seeing that there's a, a need for this type of information. Um, and I think kind of growing with the industry and being part of it since 2010, we kind of see the needs change over time. Or seven years ago, I think the audience wouldn't have been large enough for an opportunity like this. But now with you know adult use in so many states, with uh, more medical markets, more sophisticated people entering uh, the cannabis industry, there's expectations around data. You have people coming from other more established industries uh, that have had access to data like this and their other, other verticals that they've been in. So they come to cannabis and they expect it to be available, and it, and it really wasn't before headset. Um, so that's kind of yeah the the problem we don't have to solve, and kind of how we we identified the problem. Um, really, just being in the industry and talking to customers. With, with headset, what are the core offerings? Are you is it multiple different platforms, or do you have one product? Um, and and who ultimately um, should be using headset? Sure, we have a, a number of services. The way we, we talk about headset is kind of infrastructure at the data level for the cannabis industry. So trying to provide a variety of services for a variety of audience, audiences that you know, are in the cannabis industry that need data. Um, so we do have a few products uh, that we offer. The first one that we launched with was a business intelligence offering uh, designed particularly for retailers and dispensaries. Uh, and it's, it was created to help them make better sense of their own internal data. So to understand what their stores operations were saying, what, what kind of trends were occurring within their sales, uh, what kind of inventory carry were they looking at, and how could they better optimize um, you know, things that might be you know, over, overstocked, under, understocked. Uh, what did their sales staff, their bud tenders, uh, how, are their, how is their performance? How did their performance measure up against store averages? So we made it really easy for them to kind of understand the nuances of their business and in turn uh, be more successful. Uh, the second product we launched was our market data platform. So that's looking at kind of transactions in aggregate. So all of these product sales that are happening and helping um, operators better understand the competitive landscape, uh, really identifying opportunities. So kind of back to my, my previous uh, uh, topic about you know deciding should we pursue a new segment of the industry of products to to produce and you know what kind of opportunity is there how much potential money can we make what kind of competitors are there and so on uh, and really helping them understand uh, kind of their brand positioning as well uh, where they where they rank in the market um, and then our third product that we offer is uh, a retailer direct data sharing platform so sort of leveraging some of the connections we've created to be able to give a vendor uh, visibility into a, a retailer's store sales and inventory for their products. Uh, so they can use that kind of information to create a real collaborative relationship with the retailer. Uh, they use it to better forecast demand, uh, to better understand uh, production runs, um, to better optimize supply chain. Uh, but essentially, you know, the, the kind of common thread across all three products is all, it all has to do with data and analytics and utilizing uh, data to, to drive decisions. And is it uh, presented in a way where, you know, if somebody has never done data analysis, never potentially even looked at website analytics or anything like that before, um, is it presented so that someone 
without any knowledge or experience um, analyzing data, will be able to easily understand what they're looking at and um, still still make these decisions? Sure, yeah, we try and make it as, as simple as possible uh, to get the insights. So it's very intuitive, visual dashboards uh, throughout most of our, our um, services so they can quickly find the kind of information they need. Uh, we also have the ability for them to uh, create custom dashboards. Uh, so it's pretty easy to kind of drag and drop interface so they can kind of build out their own reports if they have certain uh, specific needs that they'd like to see. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big key uh, component of everything we're doing is trying to uh, just kind of get the information that they need to know front and center. So whether that's uh, you know, market insights that are packaged up in, a, in an easy to use uh, UI or alerts for headset bridge where we can tell them, hey, you're, you're running low at a particular retailer. Um, it's probably time to do a uh, reorder with that group. We just try to make it as simple as possible for them. Yeah, we've uh, we we kind of have a hook out there. It's just like it's like your it's like your business's own personal data analyst. So, where does the data ultimately come from, and how do you go about getting the data? If you're if you're spanning multiple state markets, I'd imagine you have to create. Uh, partnerships um, in each in each market that you go into, um, and then how do you combine it all to uh, to be presented in a digestible format? Sure, most of our data um, is from our point of sale connections that we have. So we support a variety of point of sales uh, in the industry. There's there's a number of them. Um, so you know we we try and support as many as possible. Uh, you know, we also, in some limited capacity, leverage traceability data, uh, kind of government published data as well. Um, but most of most of our insights come from um, the transaction at the, the point of sale oh. level. Uh, and so, you know, big piece of, of what we do, the market data is looking at that in aggregate uh, and kind of mapping all these transactions down to a single canonical products in our product catalog. Um, and that's really necessary because there are no UPC uh, barcodes on products in this industry. So uh, everyone's kind of entering products a little bit differently into their point of sale system. So we have to be able to, to map and classify those products to, to individual products in our system so we can kind of aggregate at the product level. And then from there we can roll that up into brand or segment category information uh, from there. So to do that, you know, we leverage a lot of uh, technology, a lot of classification, um, but it's a it's a huge undertaking. I think when we started headset, we did not realize how many SKUs there would be. Um, we kind of had a sense, but uh, I think we we're off by at least one order of magnitude yeah. on the, the number of products that are out there. It's it's pretty striking, um, and it and it just continues to to grow. More and more brands are being introduced every day. More and more products are being introduced. Um, and we have to track all of it. So it's, a, it's definitely a big, big undertaking, but uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Cool, so as the headset um, community grows, as your, your user base grows, you're essentially um, expanding your market awareness as well because you have, for every retailer that starts using your platform, you have another uh, portal that you're viewing into the commerce of the industry. And I'd imagine you'd be able to come up with some very interesting top-level insights as well. Um, as, as you've put together this data with Headset, um, what are some of the most interesting revelations that you've seen related to cannabis consumption and retailing um, and, uh, and how the market plays out? 
Yeah, there's a, there's a number of, of interesting insights. I think, um, you know, at the highest level, kind of the breakdown of categories, uh, it's, it's pretty um, impressive to see the volume of, of flower sales, I think, compared to other categories in the industry, so versus edibles or concentrates. Um, you know, although that's declined quite a bit, I mean, it's, it's still well over 50% of the market at the moment. Um, other interesting things uh, I would say is kind of the, the amount of brands and products being introduced uh, in comparison to the number of brands and products that are being um, adopted by retailers. Uh, you're seeing kind of this disconnect where more and more brands are entering the market, but uh, it's getting harder and harder for them to get shelf space, um, which is pretty compelling. You know, it's, a, it's getting to be a very competitive market. Um, which is another big reason why you know the headset analytics are important for these operators because as it gets more competitive they need you know all the tools they can get to to stay more competitive and data is a big piece of that um, we also have some cool insights around uh, demographic information particularly around uh, gender sales um, kind of age breakdowns um, you know I think it's it's kind of interesting to see kind of the gender gap closing we're able to see that you know it's kind of a a two-to-one male-to-female ratio uh, earlier on, and now it's kind of in adult use markets, kind of getting tighter and tighter and closer to a one-to-one, on, one one, which is great. Yeah, I think uh, demographics are fascinating. Seeing the different buying patterns of age groups and genders, like who spends more on concentrates. Uh, there's obvious patterns there um, that I'm sure you can guess on the younger younger side males definitely prefer the concentrates um, and then of course yeah the number of brands as well I mean something I don't know the exact numbers but 1200 different edibles last month in Washington uh, 1200 different SKUs sold um, which is you know it doubles or more than doubles year over year um, so yeah just the com competition is fierce number of brands um, of course, more dollars being spent all the time, but that shelf space is limited, and retailers start to kind of um, shrink down the number of vendors they want to work with. Um, so yeah, the, the tools we provide to make that relationship easier is a benefit, of course, to those vendors. Um, but yeah, it's a competitive, very competitive market. Yeah, and uh, also we uh, we put out uh, industry reports um, just as a as a way to to kind of you know showcase our data in a way. And uh, we just put one out for concentrates, and concentrates has just surpassed pre-rolls, which in the order of, of categories, it's always been flour, you know, and then pre-rolls and then concentrates. So concentrates has surpassed um, pre-rolls and sales. And just some really interesting learnings there is, is, is that category has evolved. Interesting, is that um, broken down, can you break that down further into like, into the specific categories of concentrates? Is there one that's surging or is it across the board? Uh, it is surging. Uh, there, I, we're seeing trends. So like, uh, you know, RSO or, or whole plant extracts seem to be the biggest grower in the, in the subcategory of, of concentrates or the segments. Um, so by far, uh, I don't know the number, uh, the percentage of growth, but it's in the hundreds, uh, that particular segment. Yeah. That's interesting. I've, I've just over the past year and a half witnessed um, in Washington the number of pedestrians walking around with a, a vape pen just like skyrocket. Mm -hmm. And um, people are so comfortable with it now. You know, like you could probably get a ticket for that, but nobody's going to ask. Right. Um, just see it everywhere. So 
with uh, demographic data, does that come from the retailers as well? Are they you know, taking surveys of their customers or do, do their customers create an account with the point of sale? Is that how that um, data gets sourced? Uh, essentially, it's uh, often connected to the point of sale loyalty program. Okay. Uh, so we're able to see uh, gender kind of based on first name and then age. So uh, nothing identifiable, personally identifiable, but uh, just having gender and age allows us to, to create some pretty interesting uh, analytics around uh, demographic market data. Awesome. Well, we're running out of time, but I also uh, just wanted to ask each of you, you know, having gone through this experience that I think so many entrepreneurs in cannabis visualize, especially people in the um, tech side of the cannabis industry of, you know, growing a massively successful company and then selling it to an investor and, um, you know, then starting anew. Um, what advice would you offer to someone who's in that, you know, position where they may still be at their day job with someone looking over their shoulder and they're, you know, pursuing pursuing their goals on their lunch break? Yeah, keep at it. I think you know, there's never been a better time to get into the industry. I think with uh, with Leafly, you know, we we're arguably a little early uh, for where the industry is at. Uh, you know, it took took some time to kind of get to, to where we wanted to be. Um, but yeah, you just got to keep at it. And I think that, uh, you know, now with more and more access to capital, I think it's easier than ever to kind of get something started, really prove some value and potentially raise some some money to kind of help uh, continue to validate that idea. So yeah, keep going. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, persistence, um, focus on what's important, find that product market fit. Uh, take small bites and iterate, um, and then take the amount of work you expect and multiply it by five or ten um, to really, it's a long slog for sure. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> be experimental as well. There's lots of room for uh, new ideas in the industry. Don't need to always uh, kind of follow a beaten path. Um, so, you know, if uh, be daring to use your imagination, I would say. Awesome. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you for the opportunity to come down here and record the show and for sharing your insights about the experience growing Leafly and what it's like uh, being a tech entrepreneur in the cannabis space and uh, your transition into headset and the, um, the data and the business intelligence that you're digging into. I'm sure there's a lot more wisdom to be gained from all that data, so maybe we should do this again sometime. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Noel. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Noel. Appreciate it. This has been a special edition of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. You can find more episodes as well as transcripts of the Gondrepreneur podcast in the podcast section of Gondrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store, on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts. On the Gondrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily. You can also download the Gondrepreneur app in iTunes and Google Play. I have been your host, Noel Abbott. 